If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. It's really easy to use, you guys. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. He's the dude, you know what I'm saying? Nicole and Jamal. For the Warriors, what does a successful season look like? Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon, Nicole Yopich, that's your starting front line. I'd say that they have very expensive taste. You're listening to the Chicken Nuggets Podcast. For real. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Chicken Nuggets Grilled. Today, we are doing a conversation with Mr. Jeff Morton. What's up, Jeff? How are you? What's up, Jenna? How are you doing? Well, you know, we could have met on better circumstances, couldn't we? Right, right. <laughs> I, we were talking before we started recording about this, and I, I just... This is one of those S- SMH games that I... I I just, I, I don't think, I, I, I haven't seen this version of the Nuggets have a game that thoroughly disgusting. This is the first time. Yeah, the Nuggets just dropped their second game of the series, 123-98 to 98, um, to the Suns. Um, they shot a bunch of threes. We'll get into it all in the second part of the part of the pod. But <laughs> this, this episode, once a week, Jeff, we... I like to set aside some time to catch up with somebody who's connected to the Nuggets community or to the series that they're playing in and just talk about um, how they got into sports broadcasting or sports reporting or writing and specifically, you know, just learn more about them and figure out what does it take to get to where you've gotten to. You're hosting the Colorado Sports Guy podcast right now. What else are you doing? But not just what are you doing right now. How did you get here? How did I get here? Oh, my God. Uh, do you have a two hours? Because it's quite the long story. Um, I, I'll give you the briefest version that I could possibly get. I didn't. I, I had no intention of ever being in media. Uh, that wasn't on my radar. When If you would have talked to me growing up, I would have said I was going to be a rock star. Uh, that was 100% my intention. Wow. Um, I learned to play the guitar when I was 10 and I still play it. And uh, that was, I just wanted to be in, in, a, in a rock band, play guitar like Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was my, that was my vision. Of course, it obviously lie. Uh, that only happens to once in a million uh, or less than that people. So, right. uh, but I did record an album when I was 21. What? Uh, Yes, I, I recorded an album that is out of print, and uh, I <laughs> I did that was so, but I got to got to get that kind of out of my system, and that was nineteen ninety eight, I think. Wow, wait, and, what music was this? Uh, think about like a cross between um, George Harrison and 
Led Zeppelin and uh, that sort of thing. So it's like a combination of classic rock and nine. It was it, it was it was recorded in the '90s, so you can imagine how it it, it sounded. Um, <laughs> I'll have to find some recordings of it because I, I lost this my CD copy. Oh, um, what's the name of it? It was called Not a Moment Too Soon. What? And I, I'm i trying to, in fact, one of these, and you just, good, good thing I just reminded me of myself of this because I'm going to have to try to, to find that copy and uh, put it out there because it sucks, but it was, it was, uh, it was something that I, I did on my own. I recorded all the instruments by myself and it was great it was a nice experience but i kind of got that out of my system so then about like i I put i did that and then i moved back to denver uh in 2001 and then was kind of skating around and then i started commenting on uh firegeorgecarl.com and (laughs) and pickaxe and roll and which was uh, the SB Nation site was uh, a pickaxe and roll. Yeah. And then they merged and became Denver Stiffs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one of the most eloquent and faithful commenters at the time. And in about 2009, I think I, I, I was talking to Nate about this. I don't, Nate Timmons about this, so my former co writer at. Denver Stiffs. I don't remember exactly when they brought me on, but it's 2009 or 2010, right around there. And uh, then that's how I got into it. And it was mostly because I was writing these eloquent, eloquently long comments on Denver Stiffs uh, that seemed to impress Andy Feinstein. And uh, that's how I got here. And then that's kind of led to there, you know, it's just, it kind of went from there. So it's been uh, 12 years of doing this now it's insane to think about well you're giving you're gonna give commenters like a bad idea here jeff you know <laughs> longer comments on denver stiffs and then we're gonna have to be blocking people and all this stuff <laughs> well it was uh i believe it was gordon was a commenter yeah. gordon and zach and yeah. and and ryan uh all originated as commenters, as I as I remember. Uh, Ryan was after I was no longer running the site. Um, he came in my last year when I was totally checked out uh, at Denver Stiffs, and I apologize to the readers of Denver Stiffs for that. But 2017, I was not quite there. Wait, uh, <laughs> what? I so 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 at one point you were also the big stiff. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, in fact, it's an uh, interesting story. Um, it was Andy, Nate, and I, uh, and we did the site by ourselves basically from 2009-ish to 2014-15, right around there. And then Nate Timmons suddenly got an offer from uh, a competing website and went there and Andy and I were completely at a loss. We didn't know what to do because Nate Timmons did all the site running. So that's actually one of the reasons Adam ended up running the site because he and I were, Andy and I were like, we will just be the head cheese behind the guy who runs the, does the editorial stuff. So we were the, Andy and I were the quote unquote, the proprietors of Denver Steffs. Wow. And uh, but he that we we were basically the the people behind the curtain, 
And essentially for anyone who's reading or listening to this right now, essentially just that what that meant was that he and I did basically nothing. <laughs> we just had our name. <laughs> we just had our names on the site, but we had our names on the site all the way back to 2000, you know, whatever, when uh, we were going through this. I mean, uh, it was, we, we went through the entire melodrama on Denver stiffs, which was still to this day, the most insane time I've ever I've, I've ever experienced in the 12 years of doing this or 11 or 12 years of doing this yeah so yeah I can't imagine that's actually why I originally wanted to have you on uh, the chicken nuggets grilled was because I mean we've been trying to get on get together over the course of this last finishing portion with against the Portland Trailblazers and I wanted mm-hmm. to talk to you specifically because you could give you know all listeners and 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 all Nuggets fans, a good perspective on just how bad it was when Melo left. Because personally, I, I'm only a Nuggets fan because of Carmelo Anthony. And so right. I feel like I don't, I don't hold personally a grudge towards him for leaving. I think he had okay reasons to leave. But I wasn't there or, you know, like in the trenches, you were actually kind of getting some behind the scenes. You were um, – covering the team at the time so how bad was it really because as as a I mean and even when he left I was still I don't even know what what year did he leave that was also Nick O'Hare's first year when the year he left. 2011 yeah I was still yeah. pretty young <laughs> so like I don't really I just remember loving him and then hating that he left being sad about it but not I wasn't like I didn't hate him ever. So, and I know a lot of Nuggets fans really do. I mean, we heard the booze, right? Like we know right. and they're mad about it. Well, let me, let me throw, throw this out there. And I, I kind of talked about this on uh, CSG podcast uh, a while back. I think, I think I have never had anything against Mello. Not never at all. I, I, I like Carmelo. Martin. Carmelo said hi to me when I saw him, when he came in with Oklahoma city. You know, I, I, I've never had anything uh, against Mello. Mello was entitled to do whatever he wanted to do. I've always felt that about players. But what I didn't understand was why Mello didn't under why Mello didn't understand why people were booing him. And that is where I, I was was like not Mello. Mello's perspective has always been Mello centric, mm-hmm. and. In that way, I will criticize him because he couldn't look outside of himself and see the fact that he there was for it was a good it was from uh, the first article that Mark Kisla had, I believe that was June or no, excuse me, July of 2010 to February of 2011 was absolute hell for Nuggets fans. And I Mello's lack of understanding of why that upset people was like the crux of what was going on. To Mello, he's just making a business decision. You, you know, and, and I perfectly understand that. But Mello could never step outside of himself and understand why people didn't like it. It did get bad. At one point, and here's the thing, Mello never responded well to booze. I, uh, it was a game in uh, January of... 2011 a month before he left where uh, it was against new orleans where the fans were booing him really bad 
And then he was yelling at the crowd. He was yelling at the crowd at Pepsi Center saying, boo that, boo that. And he was really upset that they were booing. He couldn't understand why they were doing it. And that's always been Melo's thing. He just can't, he just can't process that because in Melo's world, I'm doing it, whatever it takes to do when, you know, get through this at the moment. And then people are booing me and they, and he couldn't understand like, look, this entire fan base has been raked over the coals during this whole time. And I don't blame people for booing him. And I do not blame, blame Mello for leaving or anything like that. It's just was funny to me how bad, poorly he reacted to it. I, I, I just was really stunned by that. Yeah. And, and that was such a mellow reaction to that sort of thing. I anyway, know I don't want to filibuster your podcast. I can go on oh, and on. That's <laughs> why you're here, honestly. <laughs> so that you can tell us all the rich history, you know, because I do think that um, there's a generation of Nuggets fans who like, we were old enough to like know about mellow and kind of love the game, but not really understand the game as we would today, at least for me. Right. Like, I know right. that when I became a Nuggets fan and when I started watching the Nuggets, I loved the game of basketball more than I loved the franchise of the Nuggets. And right. I didn't know that much or was, and I definitely wasn't as invested. And I don't think most young fans are invested in like the whole business side or the whole team aspect of a franchise. They, you know, young fans like players, they like stars, they like uh, intensity and, Mello brought all of that to to Denver and that's kind of and I remember hit you know you remember Mello you remember JR you remember AI like Marcus mm-hmm. Campy uh, Earl mm-hmm. Wickens they were like it was a fun group of players and that's all I all I really remember is the excitement of like hey we're actually relevant like people right. know who the Nuggets are um, do you think Mello understands why people boo him now uh, no no I'll be honest with you. I did. You, you could tell during that series, he just didn't, it wasn't coming in. And then he had the, afterwards, he's, he's like, I did everything for this, you know, for this uh, city and all this stuff. He just couldn't understand it. And he still can't understand it because never mellow, never bothered to make amends. I mean, he never, uh, he just, in his mind, it's uh, he got to his, uh, he got to New York. And then I think, he made a mistake when he said that he'll go into the hall of fame as a, as a Nick, even though he had far more success as a nugget. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said that he would do that, it was like, well, you don't, you didn't give a, you know what about it. And that that's always been Mello's case. Like I said, reiterating to me, I've never had anything against him. One of the reasons I think people were so attached to Mello is um, like from 1990 to not 2003 the nuggets only had two winning seasons no excuse me one winning season and one 500 season (laughs) and then during that whole stretch wow and he when he came in in 2003 he was extremely hyped out of syracuse should have gone number two let's face it uh the, the the detroit pistons messed up and um or he should have at least i mean i'm there's an alternative history where the Nuggets selected Darko Milicic and continued down their path of being terrible for another five years. Let's let's that's a dark timeline, as the kids would say. Um, but Melo, kind of with the help of others, 
it wasn't all him, but it was mostly Mello dragged the franchise out of the doldrums. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why people were so upset. I think that is why fans booed. I thought fans booed because they, Mello really did something good. And I think Mello never really understood that part. I think he, he understood that he had helping this moribund, you know, lifting this moribund franchise out. But the fact that he was that guy and he was the symbol of that. And then when he forced his way out was basically demanding a trade. It was like, well, you're, you're, you're pissing on the city at this point. And whether he intended that or not, I, and I don't think so at all. I don't think Mello has anything against the city of Denver at all. And I've said this over and over and over again. Mello has nothing against Denver. Um, Lala did, but you know, La, I, I think Lala's the, the Lala thing was overblown. Um, I'll be quite honest with you. Um, she, yeah, didn't like living out here, but she, she didn't. Uh, eventually they got divorced when he was living in new york so i mean i don't necessarily think that it was going to be that it was the city they were living in was that as big a factor as people said it was just it is what it is and uh i could go on for ages about this i, I, I saw too much of mellow i saw too much of mellow and it's just it's good that they're that that we got someone in denver now who's kind of the the new face and i think uh everyone should appreciate nikola Jokic uh and the time that it took uh to get him and become what they are right now yeah absolutely um because nikola really is like the ideal superstar he's not like any of these other superstars in in a right. lot of different ways on and off the court and um with I mean, what you're describing in Mellow is like almost like a lack of self-awareness or like emotional maturity or like he should know that like people are going to be upset. Yeah, should it roll off his back because he's he's never going to please everybody? Yeah, probably when you're a pro athlete, you should have that kind of ability to let things roll off your back and not worry about it and not let not to the point where you're screaming at the crowd, you know. Um, boo this or boo that so that trade was huge for Denver we get Wilson Chandler Raymond Felton Danilo Gallinari gosh Mozgov I mean that's a whole nother generation of guys that uh, fans like myself as a kid grew up with but it also like ended a really a really important and fun time for Nuggets fans like you said I, I guess that's probably why I had never really because 2003 is like me heading into high school like I'm about to play some high school basketball you know well I'm in middle school at that point so <laughs> but you know what I mean like I'm just getting into basketball like it's actually mm -hmm. competitive mm -hmm. so I'm looking up to players and trying to figure out who who do I want to like model my game after but I'm really more about what does this superstar teach me and more about like my own internal basketball uh, mind and how do I help or how do I become a player like that? I never really, I guess as, as a player, maybe I didn't spend too much time worrying about, oh, well, he left us with crap or, or anything like that. I always definitely attributed a lot more to trades to like, well, why did the team even agree to that? Or why did, why did mm -hmm. the give these people away? And I would always um, look to them, I guess, if I was going to blame somebody or play the blame game, but you also got to see 
those guys and Ty Lawson and, and experience a lot of really iconic members of this, the Nuggets franchise over the course of your time covering the Nuggets, who do you think was like the best guy to cover that's not currently on this team? Oh man. Uh, Wilson. I loved Wilson Chandler. Um, Wilson and I had a great uh, ability to communicate with each other and uh, Wilson, what I always appreciated about Wilson Chandler was you could tell Wilson thought well beyond basketball. Uh, Mason Plumley was very similar there. Uh, Mason Plumley was really into art and he would, he would talk for a long time. If you got him in on some art, I, uh, art talking about some certain art displays in New York, he'd start, he would gush for a long time uh, that's just the way mason thought but the but wilson was very deep still is um a, a guy who if he trusted you he trusted you hmm. and it was hard to gain wilson's trust and there was there was just he he is a very introspective person and it's hard to be introspective and be a basketball player to be quite honest with you um but Wilson was also very talented and the guy had just some horrendous luck with injuries, kind of like Callow, to be quite honest with you, his cohort for many years. Uh, those two had the worst luck of injuries I'd ever seen. And he managed to make a, a, a long career out of it. And he gave back to his community, gave back to Detroit, a Detroit area, excuse me, Ann Arbor, a uh, big Michigan guy, uh, just that was his home, and he loved giving back to his community. Yeah. And I, um, or was it Grand Rapids he grew up in? I think it was Grand Rapids. Um, anyway, he, uh, Michigan was his place, and he just identified with it, and he would go back and he would give back. And I, I had such a great relationship with him. I had a great relationship with Ty Lawson. Uh, I never been more disappointed in my life than seeing what happened to Ty Lawson at the end of his time as a Nuggets player. Um, Ty was, Ty was easy to communicate with. He was a good guy. Um, if you got him on the right mood someday, you'd talk and talk and talk. Um, Ty was just a, a, a good, a good dude. And it, uh, first I got some stories that I can't tell on this podcast, unfortunately, but I <laughs> One of these days, one of these days, I'll probably re reveal some stories. But he uh, it was great. I mean, the, the, I would say those two. Um, uh, I, I think those two are the ones that I, I, can, I constantly think about, about guys who are a pleasure to cover because they were great at interacting. Uh, Will Barton's like that. But mm -hmm. Will, Will, Will knows what I, I mean. I always say this. Will knows what he's doing because he's, he's, he, he's very conscious that he, he, he knows what he's doing and he knows that we eat certain things up. And I always see that uh, Gary Harris got uh, good at that by the time he, by the time he left. Um, but I, I, but mostly it's just Ty Lawson and Wilson Chandler. I really, really enjoyed covering those two. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. And, and like the way that you're talking about Ty and, and, Wilson, and Wilson Chandler, it's like, like you really had deep conversations with them about things that weren't basketball related. And like, mm -hmm. I don't really I mean, maybe media has changed that much and, and especially since COVID it has been affected, but 
we don't often get a chance to talk, you know, talk to these guys about anything but basketball. How did you have these conversations? Teach me your ways. Uh, Well, you know, the biggest key, and I'll tell you this, and it's not anything, um, it's not any really huge secret, but it's, it's just, you have to be there all the time. And uh, they, if you're there all the time, they at least know they, they, they trust you. They, they see you, they identify you. They said, though, this person is here uh, and, and they're less inclined to trust people who are not there all the time. Um, that's why certain, you know, columnists will not get good quotes from players because they don't trust the, per- the person who's asking the question. Um, you know, there's just it, it, Ben Hockman, uh, the old beat writer uh, for the Nuggets, used to be really good at getting guys to talk to him because um, Ben's really easygoing. Uh, I, as you know, from me, I am extremely easygoing. Uh, I don't have an agenda. I just, I, to be honest with you, I just want to talk to him. Yeah. And if you just treat them like human beings, they will respond to it. I mean, because uh, these guys are used to being treated like athletes yeah. and uh, people who are more talented than you. And, there's a lot of sycophantism in a lot of aspects of their life coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. They're probably told you're great all the time. And a lot of times I'm sure that they don't get someone just talking to them like a, like a normal person. I will be honest with you. I don't have any such relationship with the people in the locker room right now um, because I'm not as round as much as I was five years ago. Yeah. Um, but being there is big key and, and getting them to trust you and get getting to the point where they say they, they know they can say something to you without it immediately appearing in you know print right. and then you ask them look can we get something on the record you know they, they'll still say okay then they'll identify it yeah um you know they won't go full rob, robot mode like gallo used to do um so it is it's that that really is it but i think i think being there and just treating them like human beings that's that's the that's the only thing that i would say because i think you know like i said it's it's a valuable thing to have a be able to have a conversation with people and have them just respect you because you're there and you're not gonna fuck them pardon my language (laughs) (laughs) because because the, the 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 screwing them in public in something you write is the for the, the surest thing the surest thing yeah yeah <laughs> will say, yeah but anyway they'll be pissed about it yeah i mean well i mean i think guys do read what you have to say and you got to be honest and you should be fair as well um but yeah i guess it's interesting because i'm just learning so much about being in the field of sports media and being mm-hmm. a woman in the field and stuff and it, i just think I'm learning so much about how differently we think as men and women in, in our sports media landscape. And I genuinely try not to talk, like, even if I was going to approach someone and say, talk about art with Mason Plumley, a totally appropriate conversation. I just would think as like, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm just here for, for a reason that isn't work. I don't want, you know, and I'd be so consumed with that worry and fear and, I hope that someday it's not like that for women. I hope that we can feel like we can be there and that we can have a conversation mm-hmm. that, because I do think fans want to know that kind of stuff, you know, like I had no idea Mason Plumley liked art. I would have never gotten that impression from him, to be honest with you. 
but I'm definitely judging him by his, <laughs> you know, judging a book by its cover when I say that. And I'm, I'm yeah. surprised that you include Gary Harris in that because I do feel like he's, he has gotten into a little bit of robot mode with Nuggets Media towards the end of his time here in Denver. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll say this. I mean, Gary, Gary, I, were you around when Gary was first here? I don't, I don't think you had come to the Nuggets beat yet. Were you? Mm. 2014 no 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 i only started in 2019 all right gary gary didn't know how to talk mm. um he was very clipped very short uh jamal jamal was that way and jamal can be um oh he can be short with media he can be very bitchy um but <laughs> I, I think jamal at least he's being honest yeah. And I, 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 I've always respected that. I mean, if you're going to be, you know, even if you're going to be short with the media, I, it doesn't bug me. So like with what you're talking about with women, um, I, I wanted to come back to this for a second. I, do, I don't necessarily, at least now, think that is as big a deal as it was even 10 years ago uh, for these players. Um, they're kind of used to it now because there's a lot more women uh, in locker rooms, even though there's not as many as there should be. I'll be honest with you. There needs to be a lot more women uh covering these these uh athletes in in whatever fashion uh that they need to be there i i i've always felt that and you know the best way that uh, guys can get more used to it is the fact that they they don't they won't find just a a woman in the locker room and and invasion and i've never felt that with the nuggets there's been countless women coming through uh, as reporters, uh, Joe Neeson did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know yourself. Katie, uh, lots of us. Katie Wingy. They they just they're they're fine with it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's not that barrier. All these players know that there's a, 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 it, they all they need to know is they trust you and they see you and they know you're going to be professional and that's it. Yeah. No, you know, and I I want to correct something. I didn't mean the players feeling uh, intimidated or or like it would be an inappropriate conversation, or that I wasn't staying on topic or you know being professional there. I think I'm scarred from PR teams, right? I've had mm. uh, interactions with different PR teams, not the Nuggets. Definitely not the Nuggets. Uh, their their team has been nothing but welcoming, and they continue to add women to to the media group of. Mm-hmm who cover the team year after year and diverse women as well. But I've had prior to coming to covering the Nuggets, I've had encounters with PR teams that have genuinely scarred me for life. Like I'm afraid to have a conversation about someone's kids because that might mean that I'm like interested in them in a way that's not appropriate or not business professional. And I've gotten in trouble for it with other PR teams because I was polite, like, I, a player had their, their daughters there and I was kind to the little girls and I was in trouble. So um, I think I'm mm. hard from PR staff feeling like, you know, that making it seem like I'm intruding or invading a place where you're absolutely right. Women should be covering. And, and it's weird, Jeff, like in my mind, I always thought like when I first got into the field, like maybe I should just be covering women's basketball since I'm a girl that would make sense. And that's just such a terrible mindset to go in with it. Right. Because like, if you know basketball, you know, basketball, it doesn't really matter who's on the court. Like you don't, you don't need to like, like, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I, 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 you know, 
I, I, I am the least threatening person on the planet and I have that aura about me. So it's very easy for me to be, for, for uh, people to talk to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think as I can't relate to the, the being, being a woman aspect of it. And, and I would never try to speak to that. The only thing I could say is just on a general human level, most people just want to know that they can talk to you and be in your trustworthy. Yeah. And I think particularly now, particularly now, it is, it is a lot. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier, I guess. Um, and I'm not particularly, like I said, I got most of my conversations, uh, um, not in the scrums. I hate, I hate the scrums. I'll be honest with you. I can't, I'm short. I can't hear everything. These players look at you and they're like, this guy's a footstool because I'm, you know, five foot six. And they, they, they feel like they're talking to a midget (laughs) and uh, I get it. And, but when you get them away from that situation, it's where I've always thrived. Um, Because yelling questions in a scrum is just, it's just tedious to me. It's tedious. And I think that's a lot of what, uh, what, uh, Naomi, Naomi Osaka was talking about mm-hmm. when she pulled out of the French Open. It is, it is. Press conferences tend to be inanity. It tends to be, tends to be not something that you will get great quotes from. I do not like Michael Malone post game pressers. Um, he is, he is too emotional, and he gets the same goddamn question every time. I mean, there's great guys that are trying to get great questions. And in fact, I think he's done better with these Zoom calls. I'll be quite honest with you. He's done better on these Zoom calls than he does on the usual scrums. Um, but I don't think they produce anything. Uh, Michael Malone, after practice, when there's less media there, has been always been perfecto to me. That's the best Michael Malone quotes I ever got. But this, it's not the he doesn't have people shouting stuff at him, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that is where you get the better stuff. And, and uh, I went on a tangent here, but uh, that's. <laughs> that's no, you're right. Yeah. Because after a game two, he hasn't even had a chance to evaluate the game. He hasn't had a chance to look at film. He's not really sure what, you know, what to say to, he's going to give you like his first reaction, but he's still going to look at film and, and evaluate and have a better answer for you later. So. I've given you a little bit of history as far as like I became a fan when I, when Melo came onto the map, onto the scene for Denver. That's really what ignited my fandom as a Nugget mm-hmm. fan. At what point in your journey along, you know, little Jeffrey Morton <laughs> to now, did you become a Nuggets fan? Like what player did that for you? Uh, I remember... Uh, becoming a Nuggets fan during their 87-88 Nuggets season. They won 54 games that year. Um, and it was Alex English. Um, 
who was my gateway into loving the Denver Nuggets. And I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's a love that's never stopped. I go in and out of like levels of rabidness, um, like, uh, like uh, there were times in the late nineties, I could seriously, it was like, why am I watching this team? Um, but, uh, yeah, really was Alex English, but I, and, and I'll never forget it. I, I've told this story before, but it's, it's so ridiculous. I'll tell you this. Uh, went to see the Nuggets versus the Timberwolves in 1988. Uh, I went with my stepfather, uh, Dave, and we sat, it was at McNichols Arena, and we sat two rows from the top where things smelled like piss. And it was the cheap seats, so to speak. And um, we made our way down to the, 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 the this is, <laughs> This will tell you the difference in times, okay? Uh, back then, um, it was a little easier to walk down to the lower level if you had a ticket. And because that's just the way security was in the late 80s. Yeah. And I made my way to the, the uh, there, there wasn't a rope line, but the Nuggets would, would leave through, uh, you know, their, their exit front into the locker room was right next to their bench. And uh, I made my way down there and it was a night where the Nuggets were giving away uh, uh, rainbow colored mini balls. So I had a mini ball and I, I, I said, Mr. English, can you, you know, sign this for me? And he said, sure. And he asked for a felt pen and he, you know, signed Alex English number two on it. And I was like, Oh, I was so thrilled. Um, so I brought it back to my house and, you know, you know how kids are, you know, I started, I had a, I had a little mini hoop in my, in my bedroom and I would dribble the ball and like, Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? Uh, this is a valuable thing. It's signed by Alex English. Right. Right. And I didn't really consciously have that thought, but it was there. So anyway, I set it aside. I ended up setting it aside because my mom told me to, well, I come to find out because we moved house in 1993 or something like that. And I was looking for it one day and it had deflated. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't done anything with it. So it had deflated. <laughs> and um, we moved house and I found out that my mom had thrown it away. <laughs> my goodness. That's almost, a, that's almost as bad as my mom throwing away my Bo Jackson mitt. No, that's, that's, that's far worse. It's far worse, but it's almost as bad. I mean, come on, what is up yes. with moms? Yeah, no, the Bo Jackson thing, I would, I would be uh, beside myself. Yeah, she was like, oh, I gave it to Goodwill. I'm like, mom, some really, really lucky person is going to be rich now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I can't even imagine. Yours was, yours was far worse than mine. I, that, but the, 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 the mini ball, at least, wasn't, wasn't even, you know, inflated it was it was just a, <laughs> it would have been five years and it was a flat piece of rubber but uh my fandom was sealed with the 93 94 nuggets i was 16 years old and that was my that's my team that is uh that people don't understand this and i i i just i i gotta i i tell people you are your fandom is formed when you're in your early teens Mm -hmm. and Dan Issel became the coach in 92 
and uh, I was 14. And the 92-93 team was fun as heck. And then they in 93-94, they uh, may become the first ever eight seed to beat a uh, eight seed to beat a one seed. And that was it. That was it for me. That was my team. And that sealed it. I was already a rabid Nuggets fan, but the 93-94 team was the team that just made it all like perfect for me. And then I spent the rest of that decade, you know, wondering why I was, I was a Nuggets fan, but, but the 93-94 team is the one that really sealed the deal for me. And LaFonso Ellis, by the way, that's my all-time favorite Nuggets player. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that 94-93 team, you also got to see uh, Mohamed Abdul-Raouf. Uh, Did you, was that the year that he chose to to not participate in the anthem? No, that was uh, 90, the 95-96 season. That was his last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was really weird because he had been, not been standing all season. Uh, and someone, I think there was a media member who discovered it in like March of 96, the year I graduated high school. And uh, so they discovered it and then it just unleashed hell on him. That poor guy, he went through, that man went through just tons of crap. Yeah. Uh, it was the 90s, it was a different time, but there was no excuse. Uh, there was some shit radio DJs that went over and, and said, went to his mosque and were playing, I forget what music they were blasting out at the mosque. Um, it, it was just bad. It was bad. And, and, and to this day, I think he still has ill feelings about the city of Denver. And I don't blame him, basically, for what happened. Yeah. And uh, he just didn't, he just did not uh, get to have a good time. And David Stern, I don't think, treated him well. But it was it was the mid '90s, and it was a, like I said, it was a different time. That people had a different mentality back then. But I, I, that's not an excuse. The guy deserved better. Once again, I've, I've taken I've taken your question and gone on a completely different tangent than you were intending. I no. apologize. No, I mean that's that was exactly what I was interested in knowing. You remembered what, what that was like, and was it anything like what Kaepernick experienced? Because a lot of people don't know that story about. Abdul Rauf and I think it's just kind of recently been um, surfacing that you know Cap wasn't the first person to say I don't want to do you know stand for a flag that doesn't necessarily represent what it does to some of you as it does to me and I mean Cap was obviously trying to protest police brutality specifically but I think for Abdul Rauf it was more like it's great that you believe in this or that you want to stand for this. I don't think everyone should. And it, it definitely was a different time. And yet we still stand today there with a lot of people who still feel like that was about the flag. And it's, it's just very interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure Abdul Rauf like left the NBA. He still plays overseas and stuff. And he like in his final seasons overseas, like did amazing numbers and was a great athlete still to for a long time after he left the nba but well he was steph curry he was he was steph curry they they had remarkably similar shooting form and i always wondered and and curry kind of like oh i kind of see it i mean i remember someone asked him about it Mm -hmm. and it was kind of a dismissive thing but 
uh, I have no doubt that Del Del Curry, who played in the league with uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, uh, aka Chris Jackson, mm-hmm. um, I know for a fact that Del Curry, who was a great shooter himself, yeah, I have no I, I have no doubt that he and his sons are smaller than him. And I have no doubt that that made an impact on him. And he imparted whatever Mahmoud was doing at the time to that. His pump fake up and under, it was just beautiful. And uh, really didn't get his just desserts as far as someone who uh, pioneered a certain way of playing the game in in an era that was extremely difficult to do what he was doing. Uh, It was... that just the rules were not conducive, that the hand check was still there. And it, it was just a lot more difficult. You could, you could actually touch people on the, on the perimeter and they wouldn't call a foul. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. He probably like laughs at James Harden, right? He's watching right. at home and he's like, Oh my God, I should have been an all-star. I should have been the MVP <laughs> doing what he was doing at the time compared to what right. you guys do now. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he had a great shot and an incredible form. I wish we could have seen him really in his prime because he leave, ends up leaving the NBA before that, really, and we don't really get to see what he fully develops into, at least at that competitive NBA level. Um, at that time, who was, like, the Nuggets' biggest rival? Like, at, over the course of history, I, as far as I know, right, my little short life has been, our rival has been, like, the Blazers, I guess, recently. And then before that, it was the Jazz. And we always hate the Lakers, but I don't know that we really have, you can have rivals when you're never good and we've only recently been good. Well, I look, I look at it this way. The, 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 the Nuggets main rival has always been since about 1980 something, uh, the Utah Jazz. Uh, and it, and I always, Personally, I'll just put this out there. Never liked the Jazz. Um, <laughs> they in the '90s they were the dirtiest team. They were the dirtiest team. John Stockton would John Stockton would run up under you. There have been countless turned ankles because John Stockton would basically put his put his foot under their foot, do the old Bruce Bowen thing and uh get away with it they would set back picks right into your kidney it was just they were they were a dirty effing team very good but dirty as hell and it was so frustrating watching them that 94 series when the nuggets got down 03 and then came back all the way to tie the series at three games apiece one of the one of the more great lost series in nba history uh, in the second round and they came back, they came all the way back tight. And I'll never forget game six, that final game, the Nuggets won that series watching Jeff Hornacek set back screens on uh, uh, Bryant stiff. And you could see him like basically kneeing stiff in the crotch Oh, God. And I would, I'll never forget. So ang- I'm, I'm like, I'm like 16 years old and I'm s- throwing stuff at the TV, you know, <laughs> you sons <laughs> of bitches, <laughs> bastards, you know, screaming at the, at the TV. 
but that's that's who the jazz were. So that for me, it was always the jazz. But if you ask your common Nuggets fan, they'll say the Lakers. Right. Which I think is like a very modern day thing. Like everyone in the West hates the Lakers. So I feel right. like any, unless you're a Lakers fan, you're probably saying the Lakers, which probably gives the Lakers more clout than we really want to give the Lakers if we hate them. Well, the, the Lakers have beaten the Nuggets uh, how many times in the playoffs? Let's see. One, two, three, four. It's, I mean, it's probably six times. Yeah, it's usually seven times. Point. <laughs> seven times they've never beaten the Lakers in a in a playoff series, and three times in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> great, thank you for that history, Jeff. Just cut me. <laughs> it's good times. Yes. <laughs> Right. It's just part of what the whole mellow thing was about, right? He wanted to find, he wanted somebody by his side who could fight against Bynum when he was on the Lakers. Yes, that was his big thing. He wanted, he wanted a big man to counter Bynum. And, and the interesting thing about that was that the Lakers got Ron, uh, Ron Artest slash Meta World Peace uh, at the time. I think he was Ron Artest at the time. Um, specifically to guard Mello. That's the sole reason they, they, they got him. Um, and it was a tip of the cap to how good Mello was in that Western Conference Finals. Uh, well, he was good until the last game and a half. Um, but it was, it was, that's why, and the Nuggets didn't counter Bynum, which was their biggest weakness on the inside. And uh, that was sowing the seeds of his departure, 100%. Yeah. It's, it, it's like even to the core of some of our greatest players, the Lakers live rent-free, and it's horrible. <laughs> it's, if there wasn't so many Lakers fans all over, it wouldn't be so annoying. But there's so many Lakers fans. <laughs> They're just everywhere, like cockroaches. <laughs> Yeah, and not the kind of roaches we like here in Denver. No. <laughs> I could use one of those kind of roaches after the loss we had tonight. Um, <laughs> as, we, as we break into this kind of second part of the, the pod and, and wrap up the, the pod for the evening, I'm just interested to know, you know, were you always a Jokic fan? Like, how long did it take you to be convinced that this guy could play and be – I mean, and did you know he was going to be an MVP? No. Um, I, I'll be honest. I did not know that. I, uh, uh, the story I always tell is that uh, at draft night, I'm in the lounge. I had no idea he had been drafted. Uh, Nate was paying attention. I was talking to Adam Kinney. <laughs> and... I had no idea that the Nuggets had drafted someone. And Timmons had to inform me that they, they drafted him and he was writing this thing for Stiffs. And then we do the presser afterwards in the, in the, in the old lounge with the, with the two entrances. And Connolly, we get done with the press conference and no one had asked him a question about Jokic. Oh, my God. 
and he looks down and there and let me tell you something there weren't a lot of people there this was uh after the first uh shaw year and people were to say dismayed would be an understatement mm-hmm. and, uh tim tim uh, puts on his coat looks down and straightens his coat looks down at me specifically he was like looking daggers into me and he says no one's gonna ask a question about Jokic and or yeah yeah something like that yeah Nicola is what he said (laughs) I looked at him he said I I went up to the table as he was I said like I gotta be honest with you I don't know anything about the guy I said can you tell me about him and stuff like that he says well I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you later We'll, we'll we'll you and I will talk and I got information later but I had no clue and I'll be honest with you. I was very late on the Jokic thing. I didn't really become a believer until really late in 2017. Mm. Um, I was always convinced that he was, a, <clears throat> if you would have talked to me in 2010, I would have told you that he was a baby. Mm-hmm. And his reactions to things was poor. He uh, was too emotional and then i didn't think he cared enough and i was wrong i mean i'll, I'll be honest with you I, I i fully 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 take 100 percent uh um credit not credit but like blame for being wrong because it, it's it's i was wrong i there's just no no doubt about that i was completely wrong and there was no way if you would have talked to jeff in 2014 that i would have had any clue that Nikola Jokic, pink uniform wearing Nikola Jokic, because Nate Timmons had to show me this video that Kalen Daremo uh, had on from Rumble Mining, Mining Company uh, of pink uniformed uh, uh, Nikola Jokic playing basketball. <laughs> I had no clue. I I I I I was like, wow, this guy's that, that's a what a weird league, and uh, he ends up being a superstar. Fuck, I mean, I. I it, how would I have known? And look, I wanted the Nuggets to draft Mario Hazonia in 2015. Clearly, my ability to scout talent is off and terrible. <laughs> so uh, no one should come to me for scouting or the ability to find a superstar. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how your front office career is going to go, Jeff. Poorly. Poorly. <laughs> yeah, poorly, probably. With those things, but, um I also was not on the Nikola Jokic train quickly or, or one of the first for sure. I was still like 2018. I was still critical of him. I thought that I agree with you about his reactions. I thought he was, he complained a lot, you know, Mm. with the refs. He wasn't very in control of his emotional maturity during the game. Um, He, and it wasn't like he was, emotional in the right way even you know it was just complaining because he felt like he should I don't know get be given a foul call and now a lot of people criticize him for that even to this day um I think it's very different now he he does not complain nearly as much as he used to which right. probably makes some people laugh out there <laughs> who <laughs> think he complains too much right now but I was late to the Nikola Jokic train I remember I was on the draft for 2018 doing a live show for the draft at a at a bar here in town and and somebody asked me well what are your thoughts on Nikola Jokic do you think they'll build a team around him and I was just like I honestly can't 
still can't see how that's going to work. Uh, he's completely proven me wrong too. So we can all be wrong, but he was right. so introduced in the draft as a, uh, Chalupa or a burrito. Quesarito. Quesarito. So, um, <laughs> I don't know how anyone could have known about Nikola Jokic when that's the kind of coverage he was getting at that point. Well, I, Jenna, I, 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 this is how clueless I was. I had no idea there was a Taco Bell commercial going on. I, I, I like, I, it was the second round. And I knew there was a pick coming up and it came up fast as I remember. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I just was, I, I mentioned something to Kenny and he and I were gabbing a bit. And then Nate like hits me and says, so oh, they nuggets have drafted this guy from Serbia. And I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. Like, cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I still, I still was like, Oh, you know, they, they just drafted Nurkic and they drafted Gary Harris Mm-hmm. That and then my I was telling someone uh, a couple of days ago my memory of uh, that night, other than you know obviously the Jokic stuff, is that Nurkic did a call with us after the draft. He could barely speak any English, but he was super excited, okay. super excited. He was telling us how much he loved Kobe. Uh, Kobe was his favorite player. And he was super, super, super excited. I mean, you, you could just feel it through the phone, how much he desperately wanted to, to do it. Uh, he just was, he was ready. And it was so, it was interesting contrast to the, uh, the Nurkic that we saw a couple of years later. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he was so happy. Oh my God. Uh, that's my that's my big memory is that Nurkic being super happy and not being able to speak English <laughs> yeah well ironically my only draft that we got to do in person with like on on site for the Nuggets was at 2019 it might have been what the year Bull Bull was uh was that 2019 when it was 2019 drafted yeah so it would have been 2019 and we were sitting in the room similar to what you're describing. And I was very much not paying attention because the Nuggets <laughs> definitely not, not, you know, not really high in the draft. They weren't thinking about taking it. They didn't, we didn't think they were going to make any sort of move or anything to get a, get anybody. And opposite of what you experienced, we also did a call with Bull Bull after. <laughs> and Bull was on speakerphone um, and we spoke to Conley first and then, and Bull was not excited in any way. He was like pretty upset. <laughs> he did not seem that <laughs> to be drafted in the position he was drafted in. Uh, obviously, he dropped more than he wanted to and stuff. But ironically, you know, he, he's drafted higher than Nikola Jokic. And I don't think he's going to pan out to be anywhere near this player, Nikola Jokic ends up being oh. there was so much hype around and so many questions yeah. around Bobo and oh my gosh so much excitement and yet he you know isn't wasn't excited about being he here. he dropped to the back half of the second round I mean I think he was close to the end yeah. and he and it was largely because he of health reasons with him and uh, as that's my memory. And then I talked to some people he went to college with, uh, some some of the people around them, and that was basically the things like it's the it's the feet, mm-hmm. it's the legs, 
and we're then you know NBA scouts got the whole thing so we ended up falling yeah but uh my impression of Bull Bull is that he just doesn't have the desire yeah he could be a lot better he's got he's got so much skill yeah but he just he just the, the desire is not I, I you get the feeling that he just wants it handed to him yeah yeah and that's just not going to happen I spoke with Jake Fisher on the on this podcast a few weeks ago and he was saying that there was also some uh, during Bulls draft some rumors out there that he just kind of wanted the fame but didn't want the didn't really want to work for it he was already kind of Instagram famous he already was he has a lot of fame for somebody who's done very little in the sport of basketball um and I do think he has a lot more talent than he's taking advantage of, unfortunately. But well, well, it's a, it. It frustrates me that Nuggets fans like chant for him all the time, because I get it. I get it. He's the, the he's the shiny object. It's like the backup quarterback thing. New MPJ. Yeah, but you know MPJ has a lot more to his package <laughs> than Bull does. And Bull at this point, I mean, like the last time he was in there, I saw him, it was at the end of the regular season. It was almost like he was, he didn't take a shot. He looked like he didn't want to be out there. And it was really disappointing, Jenna. It was, it was extremely disappointing to see I, either he was dispirited or didn't care. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, almost as disappointing as this loss tonight, Jenna. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it was pretty rough. I, I don't know if it like Malone really ripped the team afterwards. He had a lot of negative things to say as we've talked about. He's not great after a, a loss <laughs> and, and right. where he hasn't got a chance to review film and everything. His, his quotes are very much emotional and off the cuff of what he's feeling in that moment. And he did comment about um, just that guys were, missing shots and then sulking and not really having good um, body language, I think was the word he used and mm-hmm. he got their asses kicked. And I really feel like he was talking about MPJ. Do you have any insight for Nuggets fans on, on the Malone MPJ relationship? Because they say they like each other. And yet I've seen him, I've seen Malone walk back to the bench and and call MPJ some names and throw his paper and pencil because he's pissed at him for taking a selfish shot. So what do you know about their relationship and, and how frustrated do you, how much do you think tonight was at least Malone's post-game comments? How much do you think we're directed at MPJ? And maybe a little bit. Um, uh, obviously he had the most obviously bad game, but no one, had a good game other than Jokic, and even Jokic was kind of like, eh. Yeah. You know, he was scoring because he's the only one who could have scored, but he didn't exactly have a great game. He didn't. It was a collective effort. Um, Mike, I'll, I'll say this about Mike. Um, he does frustrate Malone, uh, but if it wasn't for Mike's dad, this relationship would probably be a lot worse mm. than it is. Um Mike's, from what I understand, Mike's dad is a very positive influence as far as this goes. Mm. Um, and I think that part 
if that dynamic wasn't there, it'd probably be a lot more fractious than it is. Um, but one thing is Mike does, does respond well to uh, bad games like this. Yeah. Um, he does come back and bounce back really well. I think Malone's frustration probably stems from uh, a lot of different areas, but I'll say more than anything, I don't think the Nuggets handled the crowd well. I'll be honest with you. I uh, don't think, I, and I think it's a, a large part of why the body language was so bad is that they haven't really had to deal with the packed crowd for over a year. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as if Phoenix has the best home court advantage, but like, look, when you, you have spent 15 months, not basically not having a crowd and then getting a little bit of one uh obviously ball arena they've had what ten thousand people there and it's going to be full capacity on uh friday was full ish i should say so obviously that's going to be you know good for them and then that's that'll be the first time the suns have ever faced a crowd like that Mm -hmm. um because the lakers uh California they don't have they're they're still very restricted so there was barely anyone in Staples Center Mm -hmm. and kind of like the Nuggets with the Blazers the Blazers I think had 8,000 maybe Um, it wasn't exactly a boisterous crowd but Phoenix was a capacity crowd and they were they were contributing to the momentum and I don't think the Nuggets and this is the part where I'll criticize them I don't think they've had they handled it well I don't think they handled the crowd well and I think if they're going to let the crowd affect them for two straight games, that tells me that they are riding on a knife edge right now. Yeah. And, and they're missing Jamal. They don't have room for error, you know? Yeah. And I think Coach Malone will even spoke to it a little bit, just even when he was talking about Nicola winning the MVP, he said, you know, Nicola's never going to tell you he's exhausted, but he's physically and mentally exhausted at this point. He Mm -hmm. played some of the most minutes, like if you combine over the last three years, because they take every series to seven lovely games, they end up playing a lot of minutes. And Nicola hasn't missed a game since 2017. Right. It's kind of like, I'm going to throw this game out. They're down 0-2, but Phoenix hasn't won in Denver. And a series doesn't start until the road team wins a game Mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned um until you get to a game seven obviously and then that's the the home team has the advantage there but if the nuggets come back and they show better and they win game three and then they win game four uh then it's back to square one it's the best of three um and they just have to start by winning game three and they got to start by playing better and playing better to an extent that it's not the shots it's not and and this is why i I like won't go too far on the mpj thing everyone was missing shots literally everyone on the nuggets was missing shots yeah and austin river's body language was not helping uh fouling devin booker like and it was a legit foul and then just spending the next five minutes yelling at the ref um, none of that helps. And no one had a good night. No one came out of this unscathed. 
and they got to do some soul searching before they come back in. Well, maybe Barton, but Barton, uh, you know, had the pleasure of only playing, what was it, 12, 13 minutes in the game. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, minutes restriction. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, sometimes I think of Nicola, even when he does complain to refs, being a little bit more engaged. Like tonight, you didn't even see him complain maybe till the third quarter. You didn't see him. He, there was a, definitely some calls that were missed in that fir- the first three quarters and you didn't right. see him say anything about that until deeper into the third and I thought that even indicated just how detached they seemed tonight uh the bench you looked over and it's like Jamal Murray isn't hyping up the guys or cheering on the guys he's slumped in his chair icing right. ACL you know like there was a lot of different people on the court that were that had some not so great body language <laughs> except for Felipe who was behind the bench flexing every time anyone did anything. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure, uh, biggest Nuggets cheerleader out there for them and strength and conditioning coach who Nicola, you know, gave credit to his MVP season too. So right. important part of this team for sure. But uh, I would say like too, they stopped running the pick and roll because the Suns were just switching, you know, they were kind of zoning and then it was an automatic switch. And so they stopped Mm -hmm. pick and roll. They start shooting a bunch of threes. They're not hitting any threes. Nobody's hitting anything except for random uncle Paul in the middle Mm -hmm. of the quarter that doesn't matter. We're already down by a lot and they can't really generate anything else. They start to drive to the basket and that gets them a little bit more, um, opportunities at the line but it was too little too late or a lot too late once they started doing that in the fourth so hopefully after film coming home they've been on the road you know this whole week uh and they've been a pretty good road team so I thought they'd get one in Phoenix but hopefully you're right and they get one on the um they get one at home or get two at home to even this thing back up I agree with you. It's kind of one of, it reminded me a lot of Portland game four from last series, just everything went Portland's way. And it was kind of, it was the bad Jokic game aside from Dame also getting not playing great, but everything else went Portland's way. And it was kind of like, okay, well that happened, but doesn't matter because we have Nikola Jokic and he'll come back. He hasn't really looked himself though in these first two games against me he he hasn't and has literally nothing to do with deandre Ayton because Jokic is scoring on Ayton a lot uh i just think he's he he looks not dispirited he just looks lethargic Mm. and i think the lethargy is starting to show the guy's logged a ton of minutes and this series is every other other every other day yeah and i i mean Jokic doesn't like actually likes playing every other day but i i think it's taking its toll on him jenna i think it's finally finally all those minutes are like it's becoming a weight that's too big to bear when you add in jamal not being there yeah it's just too much but i'll tell you this i i have no i have no doubt the nuggets will play 30 times better in game three and they'll probably win i i this phoenix team is good uh but they once again they need to face the same adversity the Nuggets did and I think it's going to be interesting to see 
how they respond to a crowd that's full capacity against them. And we'll see how they react emotionally because I'm telling you, this is a huge factor, huge factor in these series. And uh, I'm not used to that in NBA games outside of like Oklahoma city and uh, uh, the old Oracle arena. But I, I think that is a more a, a larger factor than people are willing to admit right now. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I think the biggest part of missing Jamal is that Jamal thrives off of like the negative noise, you know, he's right. like, and he, he's like, Oh, that's exactly what I needed. And he goes off. That's kind of the same as Devin Booker has that same sort of like inner will. Like I want to piss off the, the crowd even more. So hopefully that doesn't happen on, on Friday. <laughs> hopefully you're right. You heard it here first, you guys, Jeff predicted game three a win in Denver on Friday Jeff it's been a pleasure I could seriously sit here and talk to you for like hours about Nuggets history and different Uh, stories like I keep looking at the clock like okay I gotta get him out of here (laughs) here talk about mellow for two hours and I'd be like oh it's 2 a.m so uh, I appreciate you coming on you have to come on again so we can talk um but it's been great just getting to know everything about or a little bit about how you became a Nuggets fan and and everything you've done since then um any advice you give to people like myself you know who are we want to break into the sports world we're interested in breaking into the sports world you said earlier you got to be there all the time but in a pandemic that's really not been possible (laughs) recently any any advice you give to aspiring sports journalists uh be be first to be above all be professional but in the the second part of that is be true to you because uh, because authenticity is is confidence and confidence means that you will be doing your job right and i think if there's anything anyone who's an aspiring journalist is going to like look at this and say well everyone writes everyone does this what's going to set me apart the thing that's going to set you apart is identifying what you're good at uh within the realm of covering the denver nuggets doing it to the best damn way that you could possibly do it yeah and in that way you will always be true to what you are you're you are true to who you are and what you do best and there ain't nothing better than that (laughs) well i appreciate it jeff thanks for being on Mm -hmm. and hopefully your words will you know ring in the ears of few of nuggets fans and future future stiffs writers right 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 future commenters right or current comment (laughs) there's like bull bulls lady or something commenter you not you this does not apply to you (laughs) i'm not familiar with the commenters anymore but uh uh, hopefully, is Mancar still there? And I don't, uh, I don't know Mancar, but they like, you know, they change their names around, try to switch it up so that we can't tell who's commenting some of the. Uh, uh, when you post this, I'll have to go visit and see who comments. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Thanks again, Jeff.